Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, this is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media and BetOnline.ag. Today I am joined by a very special guest. It is Mark Schofield from Touchdown Wire, Pat's Pulpit, pretty much everywhere on the internet we can find Mark. So go ahead and follow him at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Mark, thanks so much for doing this. Evan, man, excited to be here. Excited to talk about Cam. You and I have been talking about him for a while now, so it's good to get a chance to do it on a pod. Absolutely. So we're going to break down all things Cam Newton, his throwing mechanics, his footwork. We're also going to get into John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders. I was actually just doing some uh, trips down memory lane with John Gruden. The last time the Patriots played a John Gruden coach team was all the way back in 2005. And I remember as a young buck then, my father telling me that, you know, Gruden, this before the Snow Bowl in 2001 actually, was, you know, kind of the Bill Walsh of his time, right? The Sean McVay, the Kyle Shanahan, oh. whoever you want to use. And it's uh, it's been a long time since then. Gruden's obviously had a hiatus in Monday Night Football, and now he's back in coaching. So we'll get to the Raiders later on in the pod. But with Mark, you got to talk quarterbacks, of course, the QB factory man himself. So we're going to talk some Cam Newton right now. And Mark, uh, you know, to me, I think the biggest thing looking at this Patriots team from a big picture bird's eye view is that we need to start operating on the prism that Cam Newton is going to be bringing a whole lot to the table offensively. You know, we're not just talking about a guy that can run. He can also throw. He can throw on the move. He can make guys miss in the pocket and create plays on his own. We're talking about an MVP potentially here if he can stay healthy and no longer are we talking about an offense that's necessarily you know stagnant because they don't have a quarterback that can really elevate everything around them so all of a sudden the receivers look a little bit better the running backs look a little bit better even the tight ends look a little bit better uh, well, what's your take on cam so far I, I mean i i think you have to be pleased with what you're seeing so far from cam newton running this offense uh, i think it was important on sunday night and I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, the, that was a loss where I was smiling when I went to bed after that game was over because I was just like, look, th- this is a team now. And you can see, you know, you could picture yourself two months from now looking back on that Sunday night saying, yeah, they lost that game, but we knew we had something special with this team because they were down twice by double digits and they had to throw themselves back into this game. And they were able to do that. And that was a big question I think people had. Yeah, they beat Miami week one. But it's the Miami Dolphins. You threw it 19 times, 15 completions for like 155 yards. That's efficient, but you're not really throwing haymakers at a defense. 
they had to do that Sunday night, and they had the ability to do that. They threw themselves back into this game when we had questions about the passing game. So I think you have to be excited about what this offense could look like, what it's fully formed. And we all know that Bill Belichick sometimes eases into a season, uses the first couple of games as an extended preseason. So they're str- they're trying to figure out what they can and can't do. They can do a lot offensively. It's wildly different than we're used to. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that, but I think you have to be excited about all the potential things they can do with this offense with Cam Newton running it. Exactly. And, you know, they only scored 23 offensive points against Seattle, and they only scored 21 offensive points against Miami. So I think that does beg the question. I'm sure if I turned on 98.5 here in Boston right now, they'd be saying, what's everybody getting, you know, so excited about? They're in the, you know, in the low 20s scoring wise, two straight weeks against two mediocre defenses. And I think what we're so excited about is you see, sort of the blueprint of what they're building, right? You see the kind of inklings of what they could be, and if you continue to pile good games on top of good games, then by Halloween, by Thanksgiving, then we could be talking about a really just amazing offensive unit here for the Patriots, believe it or not. I think if we told you that when the season started, Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird would combine for 300 receiving yards in an NFL game, I think everybody would think we were crazy. So that's the great news there. I want to get into the details as specifics because I got you on with Cam's footwork, his throwing mechanics, his pocket movement, all that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of talk about this, a lot of questions to the coaches. Belichick on Monday was really effusive in his praise of Cam's ability to work on things. I think he was specifically talking about him working under center a little bit more in New England system than he has in the past and learning how to, you know, drop, a, do a five-step drop, do a seven-step drop, do a play-action pass, you know, from under center consistently with the shoulders in the right position and his feet in the right position and all that kind of stuff. What, what have you seen from Cam's throwing mechanics? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Cam Newton's throw mechanics is violence. You know, there there's almost a parallel to Tiger Woods when Tiger was in his prime with his ability to sort of create violence and torque and power the, off the tee. And it's the same thing with Cam Newton with his throw in motion. Um, but he's refined it. If you look back at his time in Carolina, there were a lot of times, and Chris Collinsworth actually talked about this Sunday. He talked about keeping his shoulders parallel. That's very fascinating to watch because that front left shoulder at times with Cam Newton would get wildly, you know, pointed up towards yeah, that weird backwards tilt. That though. weird backwards tilt. You're exactly right, Evan. And he still has it. Like I'm looking at the third and seven completion early in the game, that time and an anticipation throw to Bird along the left sideline where Seattle bracketed with Wagner on the inside. Edelman to take away that crosser. We all know New England loves to do that. So he comes right away, looks off of that, throws the stop route to Bird with anticipation. They can't stop it. And it's still there, that little tilt, but it's nowhere near as pronounced as we used to see it in Carolina. And so that's one thing that I'm fascinated to see because when you have that violent tilt and that angle to your shoulders, the release point can get all over the place. You're going to see some missed throws. If he's calmed that down, which we've seen so far, you're going to see better ball placement. The other thing is the footwork. And he does have a wide base, but they've really worked with him on keeping the, the movements subtle in the pocket, the footwork and the drops. It's shorter, quicker steps. So it's not a wide base. When he, he does tend to stride a bit. You do see that with taller quarterbacks. Remember, we're, we're talking about a power forward playing quarterback, as Gruden described him. So the, the overstride, it's there, but he doesn't lock that front leg. 
go on an Eagles radio show right now, and they're talking about Wentz locking up that front leg, and it's leading to poor ball placement. He doesn't lock it up. The footwork is smaller steps. It's more precise. I've been very impressed with what he's done so far because this is a new offense for him. So in addition to learning all the plays and the nomenclature and all that, the footwork and the mechanics in the pocket have to be different, but he's responded to that well. I mean, again, it's hard not to get excited about what we've seen from him, even from just a mechanical standpoint. I mean, are you seeing some of the same things I am? Absolutely. And I think the one thing that really stood out, you know, we talked to quarterback coach Jed Fish a couple of times already this season, who is honestly just a lot of fun to talk to and someone that you can tell just knows and loves ball. You know, he just, he can talk quarterbacks and tell you, explain everything to you 10 times over if you want him to. And when we spoke with him, he said, you know, I asked him, I said, can you improve accuracy at this point in Cam Newton's career at 31 years old? You know, he's been spotty with his accuracy in the past. This offense is obviously predicated on having an accurate quarterback from the pocket. How do you work on that? And Fish said, you know, it's all about above the shoulders and below the waist to me, his feet and his brain. You know, if he can anticipate throws, if he can get his timing down within within those structures of those schemes, and then he can also line his feet up with every single throw, then you'll get a more consistent and a more accurate quarterback. And I think that's exactly what has played out on Sundays, is that Cam's feet, every single time we see him throw now, you know, I would watch in Carolina in 2018 or even in the beginning of 2019, his feet would be. You know, sometimes he'd be stepping towards the sideline. Sometimes he'd be wouldn't be striding forward at all and kind of keeping all of his weight on that back foot. And that backwards tilt would come into play a little bit more that way. And you would see just a quarterback that did not have a sturdy platform platform to throw from. Now, his feet are in sync, they're in rhythm, the timing of it is syncing up with the throw itself and with the play call, and everything kind of is coming together. It, it, it works. And the other thing that I think I see from him is that he's keeping his whole his shoulders level, but his whole front body is really square now to his target when he throws yeah. the ball. It, it looks like Brady. You know, it, it looks like how Brady throws the football a little bit more now than what it would beforehand with Cam. And I think what they're doing with him is just working wonders. Him, Jed Fish and, and Josh McDaniels, you, you have to give them all the credit in the world for really getting him to buy into that at this age and this point of his career and say, we're going to make you a better quarterback if you do the little things that we're telling you to do. I think he's throwing the ball better now than maybe I've ever seen him throw outside of that 2015 season. So the biggest thing to me, though, is the footwork syncing up with the play calls, the shoulders not flying up, like you said. And then the other thing is that that we you talk about breaking the chain a lot, you know, having that kinetic energy from the ground up. Now we're seeing Cam do that consistently. So it's not all if you're a Patriots fan because he's not gonna blow out his right because you know It's been, it certainly has in two weeks. Running over the football, it's going to expose him to hits. It's going to wear and tear in the body. But you're right, Evan. That 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 shoulder. If you turn yourself into an arm thrower because of poor mechanics, the shoulder is going to break down over time, or the elbow is going to break down over time. You know, people often talk about, oh, you need a great arm to play quarterback. You don't. You can, you can get by with great mechanics that can generate velocity on throws. And if you have everything working in sync, that throwing chain, that connection between the upper body and the lower body all working together, you can get velocity on throws without 
taxing the arm and the shoulder so much. So if these improved mechanics stay in place, and I think right now there's no reason to believe that they won't, he's going to be fine. You know, the only thing that the only concern is mechanics sometimes in quarterbacks break down over the course of a season. They start to revert to what they've done in the past. But we're through two NFL games, you know, and they haven't broken down yet. And we're through two games, particularly against Seattle, where he had to make some plays happen in the pocket under pressure. And that's often when you see them break down because muscle memory takes over. It didn't take over in those moments. The mechanics were still clean. So I'm fairly confident sitting here two weeks in that these mechanics are going to be in place for the rest of the season. Agreed. And I think that this is such a great testament, like I said, not to gush about the Patriots coaching staff too much, but they believe internally that they can take a lot of quarterbacks and make them into good players. And I think yeah. people kind of scoff at that and they say, oh, you know, they, they think that they could take Jimmy G or Matt Castle, you know, to a Super Bowl or something like that. Maybe they can, you know, watching I mean, them try to reinvent camps yeah. on, on a run like this with such a shortened camp and, and no preseason games for him to kind of yeah. learn any of these things. It, it's pretty incredible. I, I want to continue to talk about the mechanics and stuff like that, but I also want to move on to talking about just schematically what they did offensively on Sunday night. Now, I I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the Seahawks play a ton of zone coverage on the back end, and they were also very, very depleted in that secondary. And that's that's no longer the Legion of Boom, right? You know, Jamal Adams is a good player, but he's outside of him. It's really they're missing an impact guy in that secondary, especially in the coverage end. It's not like Adams is an Earl Thomas on the back end there. So I I get that. But at the same time, that one play, the 55-yarder to Julian Edelman, they run three vertical double moves on the same play. I, like I said on Twitter, I've said it and I've written it. I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw a Patriots offense run three guys down the field like that, you know, and let the quarterback throw it deep. You know, the whole play call was to throw it deep. The design yeah. was to throw it deep. And they ran that play a couple of different times. They hit Julian Edelman uh, up the seam again with Jamal Adams in coverage later on on the same kind of three verticals sort of concept. This is now turning into a vertical passing offense if Sunday night was any indication of where they're heading. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it's fascinating to see because we're so used to that death by a thousand paper cuts offense where, you know, Brady was going to carve you up for 10 completions on a drive, all in that like eight to 10 yard range, you know, really taking what the defense gives you, but they weren't going to stress you downfield. Now they can throw haymakers. I mean, they could really, okay, they don't need to have a 15 play drive. They can get it done in three or four. You know, they can beat you over the top. They can stress you downfield. You know, and like you said, I, I had to go back and look at their playbook. I mean, they had those in the playbook? Like, really? Like, they had these? Yeah, these, these... Daniels. I was like, how much of this is new? Because we've talked about the running game with him a ton, right? Yeah. yeah. the read option plays, the quarterback design runs. And he's obviously said, you know, all this is new to me. You know, I, I haven't done any of this really in the past besides maybe with Tebow for a little bit he mentioned. But, you know, this is relatively all new to me. Jed Fish has had a little bit more experience with mobile quarterbacks, you know, in the college game. And, and then with things like outside zone bootlegs and stuff like that in, in L.A. But in terms of running those types of option plays, McDaniels admitted that it was all brand new. When I asked him about the passing game, he said, 
I'm not going to lie, some of it is new. I'm not going to sit here and say none of it is new, but that it's all sort of predicated on things that they had done in the past. And I was like, I mean, okay, but well, I, I can't remember the last time that it was this vertical. Maybe, you know, 07, I, I would have to go back and watch the coaches' yeah. tape of 07, and maybe they were, it was not just, you know, it was Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth and all those guys running deep, but I think that it's been a long time in New England since we saw this. It's been a very long time, um, and it, it's incredible in that the ability to stress the defense deep downfield, because for so many years we would see guys like Rex Ryan defend Tom Brady by basically saying, we're going to blanket everything underneath and dare Tom Brady to throw deep on us because we don't think he will. You know, and, and that's fine. Like, that's who Brady was as a quarterback, and it worked for six Super Bowl reigns. So, okay, we'll take it. Now they can hit you over the top, and it opens up everything else you want to do schematically. And so if you're worried about what the Patriots are going to do against you vertically, if you have to play to cover two, cover four, and keep those two safeties deep because you're worried about getting hit downfield for the big play, that opens up the running game. That opens up that stuff underneath. I know a lot of people are worried about, particularly it's more dynasty and fantasy football Twitter. They're worried about the two rookie tight ends, and they haven't really gotten involved yet. Once we start seeing defenses having to play more cover two, cover four as a response to these vertical plays they're running, that's going to open that stuff up. The ability to attack downfield, you know, it's like any aspect of an offense. Once you do something well, defenses are going to adjust to that. If they're worried about getting hit deep, it opens up so many other things that you can do underneath in the passing game and in the running game when they don't have that second safety in the box. And so it's a huge benefit to have, like so many things with the addition of Cam Newton, it's an element to the offense that they haven't had in a while, whether it's a mobile quarterback or the ability to hit on these plays downfield. It opens up new areas of the playbook. Absolutely, and I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with just – Eventually, and I think everybody's a little bit surprised that a guy like a Demir Bird, for example, who, who's an okay receiver, but certainly is not, you know, Tyreek Hill, right. is demanding this much respect. You know, that's that's what we're selling right now is we're going to say that Demir Bird and Nikhil Harry and these guys are going to do that, but it, it's really Cam, right? And and it's his ability to be a playmaker from the pocket. Right now, I, I tweeted out the stats the other day. Cam is completing seventy-one percent of his passes from the pocket through two games with over almost nine yards per attempt just on throws inside the pocket. We're not talking about him scrambling. We're not talking yeah. about him moving off his spot, just on throws, traditional dropbacks from the pocket. That is absolutely incredible when you really think about it. Obviously he's always been mostly a pocket passer and that's really been his game and people kind of miscast him as that scrambling yeah. type of quarterback. But that, that I think is just an incredible, you know, testament to everything that they do and I just love watching especially when they go up against zone teams like Seattle I love watching Josh McDaniels dial up the zone beaters right. it's, it's great to see just how many he has in his bag that you know different types of coverages that you're going to play on the back end cover three quarters like you mentioned and he's just dialing up every single quarters and cover three beater imaginable and on one side of the field Cam's got a cover three beater on the other side of the field he's got a quarters beater and he just kind of goes wherever the coverage is taking him and he's doing it extremely well and I just I think that like I said off the top it's just a matter of now they have a guy and we all kind of make fun of Chiefs fans in New England and we make fun of all these fans that, you know, fall in love with the deep ball, right? And fall in love with the fact that Cam can, you know, push the ball down the field into a tight window or throw like he did the one to Edelman, you know, the 55-yarder to Edelman where he's kind of, you know, off his back foot and he just 
flicks the wrist and throws it 50 yards in the air. And everyone is always saying, oh, well, that's great for the highlight reel. It's great for fantasy football, but does it win Super Bowls? Now I kind of know why Chiefs fans gush over Mahomes right. so much now that you have a quarterback with that kind of arm. And I think on Sunday night, it did surprise some Pats fans a little bit how strong Cam Newton's arm really is when he really is allowed to uncork. I, I think it surprised Edelman. I mean, look, that yeah. seam route throw in the end zone. I know. That yeah. was, that was yeah. delivering Insane. some heat. And, you know, I, I saw some people joke about it on Twitter that Edelman hasn't seen a throw with that kind of velocity in, in his entire NFL career. And it might be possible. I mean, look, Brady could dial it up too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Newton's arm is incredible, like, and he still has it. And so, you know, and, and that throw up the left seam um, off of his back foot, basically moving to his left, one of the best throws I've seen Cam Newton make in a long time. And so, you know, uh, it's just, again, it's it's so easy to get excited about this offense. And I think you're right, Evan, about the sort of coverage beaters that McDaniels has and, you know, the way you sort of described it and how you've got your – cover three beater to one side, your middle of the field open beater to the other side. You know, when you can do that schematically, and so Newton, again, not a lot of time in the system. Now he just knows, okay, middle field open, I'm throwing left, middle field close, I'm going to read it right. It's great to do that for your quarterback. But Daniels is so good, and he did it with Brady, at giving his quarterbacks information before the play and giving them various ways to solve the problem that the defense gives them after the play. And we're seeing that now play out as well with Cam Newton. Absolutely. And the one play that really stood out to me also, not, you know, the downfield throws were great too, but that check down to Burkhead and the flat. I know, I know Collinsworth gushed about it, but when I watched it about on the all 22 again, they had that branch concept that I like to run on the left side with yeah. Edelman, you know, the little slot out with the fade to clear out the sideline for Edelman and Edelman actually lost a route and he got covered pretty well and Cam didn't panic. He just kind of got to the other side of the progression, noticed that the post wheel kind of took the coverage away over the top and the flat was wide open and he just texted down to Rex Burkhead who gains 18 yards on third down for a first down. And you're just like, wow, I, I don't know the last time I saw Cam Newton be able to do that. And a lot of it, I, I think is we should mention before we, we transition here is to do with the offensive line, keeping him just untouched basically for I, two straight games. I think that is the, understated aspects here that nobody's really talking about. Because, you know, in the acquisition of Cam Newton, a lot of people said, yeah, the Patriots wide receiver room, it's not great, but it still might be the best collection of receivers Newton's had. Because if you look back at some of those Carolina teams, Brandon Burson, I mean, Ted Ginn Jr., I, they weren't that great either. Um, so, you know, two things could have been true, that this Patriots wide receiver group room wasn't great, but it still was good for Cam Newton's perspective. But this might be the best offensive line he's had. And they kept him, like, clean, obviously, against Miami. And, yes, you know, at the start of this game, there were some pressure moments against Seattle. And I don't know if they got t worn down by the end of the game from trying to chase him or what. But on those final couple of drives, he had all day to throw. And it's bad enough when you're trying to go up against Cam Newton and he can, you know, break contain and break the pocket and create with his legs. But if you can't get close to him to even force him to do that, then you're really in trouble. So, yeah, I think – this offensive line, like you said, they're doing such a great job of protecting him. And if this offense is going to continue to have success, it might just start with those five guys up front. I've talked to a couple of Carolina people, you know, just not 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 team people, just friends and, and, and kind of film junkies like us that really follow the Panthers. And 
I think that there's a sort of misconception both in, in the national media and even locally about what Cam was actually working with in Carolina when he was there. That was not always a pretty offense. You know, that, that no, was not always a great personnel around him. He never really had a great offensive line. The play callers were in and out for him for many of his, much of his career. So when you really look at it, you know, this group, this, pass catching group and offensive line that he has in New England is really up there, believe it or not, with some of the better groups that he's probably had in his entire career. So if he continues to play like this, he's going to be a nightmare to defend just like he was for Seattle. Quickly before we transition to the Raiders, are you worried about the defense at all? You know, are, are you pressing the panic button or are you just kind of saying Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson? I've got to just say Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson, Evan. I mean, that, look, that guy's special. And the, the one fear that I have, you know, and I said this last week going into this game was, you know, how New England tries to defend Russell Wilson and then how effective or ineffective they are in doing so might be the biggest story on that side of the ball this entire season because you've got, Josh Allen twice. You've got Kyler Murray. You've got Lamar. You've got Russell. You've got Watson. Like, you're playing a ton of athletic quarterbacks this year. And if you're going to struggle to defend those guys, it might be a problem. And look, we saw what they tried to do. They tried to play more zone. They tried to use that mush rush to keep Wilson in the pocket. Sometimes that worked. Sometimes it didn't. The zone coverage didn't work at times. But you want to play that zone coverage so guys can have their eyes on the quarterback. Yes, it worked on the DMC pick six. Sure. But there are other moments when it didn't. There were some breakdowns. You know, I, I think there was a bust in the secondary on the wheel route to the running back on that touchdown. It looked like they were in some sort of man coverage scheme. Looked like the underneath route got busted. The linebacker didn't seem like he was covering it. Safety sort of nailed down to pick that up, and it opened that side of the field up. So I think there were some things to work out. So, yeah, I, I think the defense will get better. But the mobile quarterbacks they're going to face this year in the Russell Wilson mold, that what does worry me somewhat. It's such a great point, especially guys like Kyler. Yeah, who, oh God, I mean who, that guy's just ridiculous, man. Right? I mean, it's he is kind of like a baby Wilson, right? You know, he he is a lot similar to Russell and. It surprised, what surprised me was that when they kind of put this roster together defensively, I think everybody just assumed they were going to play safeties in the box at linebacker and get more athletic to go around and chase a guy like a Russell Wilson. Unfortunately, what happened was, I think they overreacted, quite honestly, to Seattle running the ball effectively in the first quarter. Seattle comes out, they're averaging over five yards of carry. Belichick says, you know, crap, we, we got to get linebackers on the field. We can't put Adrian Phillips and Terrence Brooks and Jawan Williams and uh, Kyle Duggar in the box the entire game because Seattle's going to average six yards a carry if we do that. And they sort of overreacted, I think. And Bentley ends up playing a career high in snaps, in coverage, and just in general in snaps. And it's where's Waldo? You know, whenever you put a guy like that in coverage, the other team is going to find him. And whether it was throwing into his coverage or Wilson scrambling with him as the spy – it was, that was a dangerous kind of game. So I think going forward, they need to stick to their plan coming into the season, which is live with what you give up against the running backs on the ground and really play those safeties down near the line of scrimmage yeah. so that you're able to kind of, you know, run with Wilson, spy Wilson, keep those guys in the pocket and keep them at bay. But they also will need their safeties to hold up against the run and, and be right. a little bit more physical and be a little bit more downhill attacking uh, in order to do that. I, I think Kyle Duggar might might be the answer to all of these problems the way I that he's so playing. Too. 
on Sunday night, and I think that they're going to unlock him there. But I love that you brought up the point about how they have so many of these mobile quarterbacks on the schedule because they need to figure this out defensively quickly. And just putting guys like Bentley and having him be a space player, having Brandon Copeland be a space player, it's just that's not going to work for this defense. It's it's not going to work. So we're going to transition now to the Oakland Raiders, up the Las Vegas Raiders. I knew I was going to do that at least once. It happens all the time. Right. Before we do it, though, I'm going to take a quick break to talk with Dave Mason of BetOnline.ag about this weekend's spreads. We are now joined by Dave Mason of BetOnline.ag, our great sponsor for Patriots Beat, and a bunch of our other content as well. Dave, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So we're going to talk a couple of different lines here, some things going on, moving lines uh, as it comes to the Patriots. But I want to open with the line against the Las Vegas Raiders. The Pats are now favored, minus six, almost a touchdown favorite at home against the Raiders on Sunday. Dave, what are your impressions of this line? Is this uh, is this a good bet for people? Ah, uh, is it a good bet, man? It's hard to say. I mean, Vegas Raiders—they're two and zero. For that sounds so weird on two different levels. Vegas Raiders and then two and zero going with the Raiders. So, uh, I mean, they're they're playing out of their mind, man. I mean, they're they, give them credit. It looks like they could be finally turning the corner. Um, minus six, you know, hey, the home field advantage thing is just so tricky this year because you know we're still trying to figure it out to tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I was no... going to ask you about that. How are you guys sort of? Have you noticed any trends in terms of teams legitimately still having home field advantage, or do you think? Well, they're, now... Yeah, they're. I mean, there's still home field advantage. I mean, you, see, you know, when you traditionally when you factor in home field advantage, not only playing in front of a, a hostile crowd, um, but it, it's also you know just the travel and and you know staying in hotels and, you know, just being a little bit more mentally and physically exhausted, I guess. So that all factored in. But, of course, now there really isn't a crowd. There's some, I guess, some fake crowd noise in the background. But, you know, we're still trying to figure it out, too. You know, it, I can't really speak at trends because we've only had two weeks of data, and that's, that's just not a, a good enough sample size, really, to – come up with any kind of um you know clear-cut decision so i mean we're still trying to figure it out you know there's no no home crowd is is graded equally you know the but traditional years the the average is a, a field goal right that's what you always say it's usually three points goes to the home team um but of course there are variances there depending on where you're playing and and that you know how far the team has to travel and what what kind of home crowd you're playing in front of because some are better than others but now you know it, we're we're factoring in like average like two points i guess so you know but 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 again it's a work in progress man we're not we're not you know we're not head head set on that at that number we're still learning like i said we've only had two weeks of data that that's that's freaking nothing man that's such a small sample size so so to get back to your original question six points yeah i mean if if there's a crowd involved it's probably seven point six and a half with extra juice seven points um but but you know it's Hey, that, that's a tough bet. I mean, the Raiders again. That's small sample size too, but they they look great. I mean, they they did they did us a huge favor this past Monday night. We got absolutely slaughtered on Sunday. It was the biggest winning day in the history of of uh, betters at Bet Online. I mean, we've been in business for almost two decades, and <laughs> this past Sunday was the biggest winner ever. Um, but Monday night we were able to get about a third of that money back, thankfully, um, thanks to the Raiders. So. 
man, gun to head, I'm taking the Patriots. I think I'm laying those points, but um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm not. That's uh, probably a no play for me, man. It's I, I still want to see what the Raiders are all about, you know. Patriots look good, you know. I God, I wish Cam Newton scored that touchdown Sunday night because we needed the pay, the Patriots big time on Sunday night. Um, but but you know, it's I'm gonna sit this one out and just watch it as a fan. Sounds good, and I'm not gonna get into the ref conspiracy theories with you saying that you needed the Patriots there, but that <laughs> that was an interesting uh little no. But I just curious, you know, you mentioned that Sunday was one of your guy your guys' worst days ever, you know, in terms of uh betters winning against the against uh-huh. the books uh what what made it like that you know were there a ton of upsets you know what what was the reason that it was so lopsided there yeah i mean you know from a from a just a straight bet looking at the spread stuff it wasn't too bad but you, like all the so many teasers hit i mean teaser were hitting every which way all the popular teasers are hitting for one um and there's money line all chalk parlays i mean i think um what did the favorites won? There were 14 games. I think favorites won, went 13 on one, um, outright on Sunday. Uh, and the one, and the one dog that won was a small one and a half point dog, uh, the Rams. So, you know, what people like to do, they like to, these money line all chalk parlays where they, they parlay a bunch of favorites against the money nine, you know, like a minus 275, a minus 135, a minus 195. You parlay them all together, all these favorites, and you're getting plus 175 or whatever the heck the number is. So people like to do that. Um, so if, if there's not a lot of upsets, those parlays are cashing left or right. So again, the straight wagers weren't too bad for us. You know, we had some really big wins, um, like that Kansas City, game the chargers i mean the, the against the spread just bets against the spread that was a massive winner for us and there's a couple other big games in there but but the public had huge winners and uh the, the those teasers and those money line parlays just wrecked us got it so that, yeah that's a that's a tough beat i would say for the books there but i think a lot of people would say you know what hey we we were we were owed one against you guys so but uh, i'm sure that it will turn around the other way too i want to talk about the afc east odds in a second but actually what interests me more is that you do have cam newton slowly climbing up the MVP ladder, but he's still not even ahead of Josh Allen or in the top five of MVP odds right now. Uh, why, why don't, why don't you guys like Cam? You know, why is he so low? I know we, we, we like Cam and he's 16 to one, you know, he's a lot, you know, when you talk about beginning of the season, he was a lot lower. So he's, he's making a move. Um, you know, he's, he's been impressive. Hell yeah. If he keeps this out. And the, the big thing with Cam is if he could stay on the field, right? Um, you gotta right. factor that. You gotta factor that into everything. That's factored into the Patriots odds. That's factored into Cam Newton MVP odds. You know, that, that's just the elephant in the room. The dude's healthy. Uh, hell yeah. I mean, I, I like the Patriots odds to do anything and I like Cam Newton to do anything. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been healthy over the past few years. He looks great first two weeks, sure, but but then again, he you know he Belichick and I can't blame him is still using him in that running role, that battering ram um, that he's so effective. But as we know, that catches up to you. Can he last the whole season being a battering ram, um, being a being a fullback and their best runner, um, and then have to you know throw thirty passes a game on top of that? Um, I'm a little pessimistic, um, but but 
but if he's healthy all year, yeah, then then um then that sixteen to one I think is a great bet. Um, it'd make a hell of a story too, a great comeback comeback story too. Um, but you know, uh, Josh Allen, yeah, he's he's right there, neighborhood fourteen to one. He's off to a red hot start. Um, people bet the heck out of him to tell you the truth early on. So, and a lot of these kind of futures are based on 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 um exposures too so you will see a guy like josh allen where you might like scratch your head a little bit how, how the hell is josh allen surrounded by guys like cam newton and Dak prescott and aaron Rodgers, etc etc and it's like you know that the futures market is traded differently than a game spread market where a game spread market we aren't we aren't really afraid to have these big liabilities because we'll base those numbers on sharp action Whereas like a futures market like this, it, 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 we'll, we'll move a lot more on public action on a, on a futures market like this. So if someone is getting bet like a Josh Allen, you know, he had long odds to start the season. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot of t- 10, $25 bets at really long odds to, to run up a, a red figure with us. And then he gets off to a red hot start and it's like, Oh, we better drop those odds on him. You know, we don't want a massive liability at the end of the season if this guy's still doing what he's doing now at the end of the season the bills keep winning so you know cam newton i mean he was 18 to 1 before uh sunday and then the, the patriots lost and he his eyes improved to 16 to 1 so you know he, he's right where he should be but again you know the elephant in the room with him is injuries absolutely and i i think that what you just mentioned there with josh allen my guess is there's a little bit of that going on with the Buffalo Bills being favored currently, which I think you've got, we've done some videos with, with about the AFC East odds um, over the last month or so. And I think the Bills have been pretty consistently above the Patriots. The Pats were at one point maybe closer to Miami for third place in the odds, uh, you know, kind of rung here. But it sounds to me, based off of what you said about Josh Allen and then Buffalo also being minus 115 favorites right now to win the AFC East, that uh, Bills Mafia might have been a little bit active <laughs> with their with their bets being placed in favor of their Bills and in favor of their quarterback. Uh, you know that that that's part of it. Bills Bills are been a red hot bet the last two all seasons. To tell you the truth, right. I mean even, even last year I remember uh, going into last year, Bills over was our biggest liability. Um, for the season win totals and you know they're the biggest liability now for the divisional odds and a lot of that money started coming in you know once once brady went to tampa bay back in like when the hell was that march uh i guess yep. i mean that <clears throat> we just saw so much action coming in on, on the futures market you know tampa bay was getting absolutely hammered um and 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 the, the bills were getting hammered on the ASCE. So before Brady, you know, when everybody thought, ah, Brady's going to go back, big, no big deal. Um, you know, this is all, this is all BS. Uh, the Patriots were still the favorite to win the ASCEs. Then when he left that flip, the bills became the favorite. They've been the favorite ever since. Um, so, but it, it's tightening. It sure is. It's, I mean, it's minus 115 on the bills and the Patriots are plus 125. It, it's, it's 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 tighter than it was during the off season, so we'll, we'll see. I'll take the Patriots. Why? You give me Bill, Bill Belichick and anybody, and and, and uh, you know. <laughs> but again, if Cam stays on that field, watch out. I'm not a betting man, but I, I always would be in favor of betting 
with Bill Belichick instead of against Bill Belichick if I could. Uh, Dave, just quickly for everybody listening, you know, how can you get involved? Obviously go to betonline.ag. That's the website. You can, there's a bunch of great sign up bonuses when you do uh, go and sign up for an account, but tell the people how exactly it works and, and how you can get involved with the site. Yes, sir. Betonline.ag. Go on over, sign up. Um, we have, shoot, we have the earliest opening odds in the industry. I mean, our odds open before Vegas, before any other online book, onshore, offshore, doesn't matter. Our, our NFL numbers will open first. So that's a huge advantage to players. You know, you get the, those opening odds are often usually the softest odds. I have actually pretty much always the softest odds. You got to get on those early odds. Um, if you like sign up bonuses, uh, we have a, 50% welcome bonus. Um, promo code is BOL1000. That's max bonus up to a thousand bucks. Uh, here, if you're into cryptocurrency, first time cryptocurrency bonus, 100% bonus up to a grand. Um, the, the, the promo code there is crypto100. All the terms and conditions and details can be found on betonline.ag slash promotions. That's a, that's a good promo right there. So we'll sign it off right there. Dave, thank you so much for joining us again. That's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And you can, like Dave said, there's a bunch of good sign up bonuses. There's great odds out there, futures, division winners, also obviously spreads for games this weekend. So go ahead to check out betonline.ag. Dave, thanks again for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. And we're back here with Mark Schofield of Touchdown Wire. Where else? Pat's Pulpit, the Sco Show, Cornback Factory. All over the place. Every time I have Mark on, I have to make a list of all the things that he does because he's like the hardest guy and working guy in sports. So there you go. But Mark, I want to talk about the Raiders because they are playing the Raiders on Sunday in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium. John Gruden. He's had some fun, I would say, in the first two weeks of the season. You saw that reaction that he had with Mike Mayock following the win over New Orleans last week on Monday night. So that's, I think, exciting for Vegas. But are are you buying this? You know, is this is this team really there or was that more just Drew Brees showing his age one night? I mean, look, they've beaten Carolina who a lot of people think are in the mix for potentially the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And New Orleans has some issues right now. You know, with Michael Thomas out, that offense looks to struggle, looks to be struggling. And there are questions about Drew Brees. And so I'm not buying them yet. I think what's interesting about the Raiders is for years, the knock on Derek Carr has been, he doesn't throw the ball downfield. I mean, last year, I think his average depth of target was like 6.3, which was second to last in the league. And through a couple of games right now, it's 6.2. I might have those flipped either way. It's, you know, basically the same. But week one, 5.5. Last week against the Raiders, 6.9. They did some more vertical stuff downfield. They have some intriguing talents at the wide receiver positions. Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs. You know, they have some guys that can get on top of you. Um, Derek Waller is going to be a problem. And so I think, look, if they could be a bit more aggressive downfield, if, if Carr can stay aggressive downfield, this could be a quietly good offense. I'm not fully buying yet. And look, in the AFC West, you've got Mahomes to deal with it. So, you know, you don't think this is a team that's going to win the division. But they could pose a problem. You know, they could pose a problem on Sunday. They can do some things both in the past game and defensively that I think, you know, could give New England some trouble. But I'm not 
panicking or worried about this game too much. I think it's one of those that when this schedule came out, you looked at it as this is a game that they should win. This is one of the three games in those first five games where they need to get a win. I think this is one that they should win. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything like that. Exactly. When they got the schedule, when I got the schedule, I thought, oh, Vegas W. You know, this, this yeah. one's going to be a win, and, and we'll see. I, I, I really was – out on Derek Carr, I would say, at the beginning of last year, even towards the end of last year, just for the reasons that you said, he kind of had turned into basically Alex Smith. You know, he just yeah. wasn't really pushing the ball down the field, didn't have the arm strength to push the ball down the field. I'm kind of hoping that the Patriots force him into tight windows as often as possible and say, hey, if you're going to beat us, it's going to be, you know, in the honey hole of cover two or, or something yeah. like that. We're not going to let you beat us by those little kind of uh, quick hitters to guys like Renfro or or obviously Waller had a bunch of those catches against New Orleans. And the one thing that I do watch them, though, schematically, and, I, you know, it's a West Coast offense, obviously, right, with Gruden, and it's always going to be West Coast. And New Orleans, for some reason, I, I think that a lot of teams are playing it outside leverage, cover one, and that, that type of stuff a lot, right? But New Orleans did it all game on Monday night, and Gruden just called slant after slant after yeah. slant. And it's if you give up the inside to this team, whether it's an over route to Waller or a little option route where he gets to pick, you know, based off the leverage or Renfro is in there, you know, doing the same type of thing. They're going to carve you up because that's Carr's game. That, right. that Those short passes, those quick passes, the quick decisions off of leverage, that is where Carr lives. And it seemed like New Orleans just kind of let them take everything that they wanted. Yeah, and that, I mean, everybody knows that's what John Gruden wants to be conceptually, and that's where Derek Carr is comfortable as a quarterback. So I think you have to sort of take away that initial leverage read. You have to, and I know it's such a cliched phrase, take away a guy's first read, but I think you have to do that with Carr because if you force him to sort of think and perhaps even, you know, want to have to put him in a position to push the ball downfield, that's not where he wants to be. Like he'll take it if the route's designed to go there, but if it's a second or a third read type situation, that's not where he's comfortable as a quarterback. And so I think what New England has to do is mix things up. You know, you can play that outside leverage cover one here and there, but you can't do it like you said New Orleans did, Everett, and just live with it and just say, this is what we're going to do because they will throw that slant route on you over and over and over again. And with a guy like Henry Ruggs, who made a career at Alabama at taking slant routes 60 yards and housing them with his speed, you're going to ask for problems there. And so you mix it up, play a little bit of zone here and there. You don't have to worry so much about Carr's legs. He's not one of the mobile quarterbacks they're going to face. But you might want to mix in some zone to take away some of those reads. You know, play some different leverage looks with your man coverage at times. Think about how you're going to defend Darren Waller. I think it might be a Juwan Williams week. We've seen some rumblings of that in some of the media press conferences so far this week. And try to sort of force Derek Carr to go where he doesn't want to go with the football. Absolutely. And this is a wide receiver core that to me, and I'm sure a lot of Patriots fans would agree that have followed the draft after the, over the last couple of years, Renfro, Ruggs, and Edwards were probably three of the guys that I right. would love yeah. to see here in New England more than anybody. So that's, I think, ironic that they're going up against the receiving core that very easily, I mean, maybe not Ruggs, but Renfro and Edwards very easily could be in Patriots uniforms right now, and nobody would be surprised. So it's a similar sort of, I think they have a similar kind of, um, you know, what's the word, 
ingredients. You know, they're, they're yeah. going for the same sort of formula here with Mayock and Gruden as what the Patriots have. Obviously, different schemes and everything like that. I do want to talk about Darren Waller, though. You just mentioned him. He obviously went off in Monday night. Everybody, whether you're just a fantasy person or, or a football junkie like us, watched that game and, and saw that this guy is a problem, whether it's on little quick-hitting option routes, over routes, going getting up the field, whatever the case may be. And they ran a lot of different sort of levels types of concepts where Ruggs was taking the top off and then and then Waller was kind of filling underneath that. He's a matchup nightmare. Like I said, I think New Orleans gave him the inside of the field way too easily over and over again in that game. If you you have two options against him the way that I see it, and that is one, you gotta play inside leverage against him, cover two over the top. Let that safety help on take it. If he wants to run a fade, let him run a fade, you know, and and kind of help him out over the top that way. Or the second thing is just to cut those crossers off with guys in the middle of the field, you know, zone defenders in the middle, whether they're linebackers dropping to a little hole or or a robber in the middle of the field or one cross type of coverage or whatever the case may be. But you have to have a plan for this guy. You can't just say, you know, Juwan Williams, just go out and get him. This is not Mike Gesicki. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you were going to go straight man coverage, it would be Williams. And I do think we will see some of that. I think there will be some situations where, you know, they'll put Williams on him. Um, I do think there will be some situations where we see Stephon Gilmore on him. Now, I know you talked about this week. It's not a game plan where you just say, you know, Gilmore, you're our best cover guy. You're going to cover Waller because, as you pointed out, what, 69, 64% of his snaps are in the box from Waller's perspective? Like, if you're going to put Stephon Gilmore in, put him in the box and basically say, yeah, most of the time you're going to be here and you're going to have to stop the run. That's a waste of resources there. But it might be like we saw against Philly last year where third and six, third and eight, then you say, okay, they're going to have to put the ball in the air. We'll take Gilmore now and put you on Darren Waller because now we're worried about Waller. We know they're not going to run the ball. Or if they flex him out, we'll be comfortable with Gilmore, you know, on him in those situations. I think so of those Robert Rat one cross type coverages too, you know, particularly on the early downs where they might go play action and do a lot of what New England does, throw that cross and route to Edelman or in the you know years past Gronkowski off of play action and early downs when you can get those play action windows creating, you know, opportunities in the second level. That's when you come to, you know, one cross or, you know, use some robber coverages to take those away. Or even sort of some brackets and cones where you're just gonna say, look, we'll worry about the other guys, but we're gonna take you know, Williams with a bracket of some kind, whether it's Duggar or as well, or even a Devin McCourty uh, to take him away, because that's what we think you're going to stop first. We all know Belichick's M.O. is to take away what you do best. Darren Waller is what you want to take away. If they come into Foxborough and beat you by throwing to Hunter Renfro 30 times, you'll take that. You know, but if they come into Foxborough and Darren Waller has 12 catches for 148 and two touchdowns, You've done something wrong schematically. So I think you're going to see a mix of things, but you do have to take this guy away. Right, and I think that's exactly what Belichick is going to do. Waller, obviously a really talented player, but how good is he at reading out different coverages where, you know, one, one play a guy's cutting him, one play they're bracketing him, the next play they have, you know, press guy on him in man coverage, and it's Gilmore or Juwan yeah. Williams or whoever. If you throw the kitchen sink at him, you know, how many different things does he have in his bag at this point other than just using his quickness and his speed and his natural ability? Belichick, I think, is going to make him think. 
You know, we really just get in his head and see what is really up there in order to process things on the move and things like that. Ruggs, I think, is a really fascinating matchup, too. I've gone back and forth on this one. In the past, you know, when they go up against those Tyree Kill types, they put John Jones and they match, you know, they call it track guys. You know, they go speed on speed with those guys. But Ruggs is a different kind of animal, I think, than just, you know, I'm going to run a deep over or something like that and try to take the top off. I wonder if they approach Ruggs and see Ruggs as more like a John Brown type of receiver, and that would be a Gilmore matchup, not necessarily a John Jones matchup. Yeah, I think we might see that. Um, I think it might be a situation where in early downs, like I was talking about, you might see Gilmore on Ruggs um, because, you know, as I said earlier, and as you just alluded to, he's not a guy that's going to try to beat you over the top. His game is more working underneath. That's why I think – you know, Gruden and Mayock wanted him because he's a fit for their West Coast offense where it's like slant routes and house of those rather than getting you on that deep post route. So I think you might see a situation where Gilmore might be in for a tough day because first and second down, you got rugs and then third down, you might get Darren Waller. I mean, that just sort of speaks to, in a sense, Stephon Gilmore's ability as a defensive player. You know, the fact that you might have to ask him to cover a speedy, shifty, underneath guy on Henry Ruggs, and then transition to covering Darren Waller, who's a matchup nightmare for most defenses on third down situations. But Gilmore's talented enough and, you know, frankly, technically sound enough to be able to handle two different, two wildly diverse assignments. Um, and then, you know, on those third down situations, it might be a scenario where if you're comfortable leaving Gilmore on an island with Waller, and I think we would be, you know, then you've got more your bracket, your cone type situation against rugs in case they want to do something creative with him and try to leak him deep downfield. Or you're just worried about him making the first defender miss. You've got somebody there to sort of help out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always interesting week in and week out to figure out sort of these scheme matchups and the X's and O's parts of games. And this might be one of the more fascinating ones because of the different ways the Raiders can do things offensively and the different ways the Patriots can match. But it speaks to the fact that the Patriots have assembled a defense where they can play matchups on their side of the ball. They, If the offense wants to dictate some, they have the players to then sort of respond to it. There's a lot of great schematic things in this game. And Gruden and both Paul Gunther on the other side of the ball, which we will get to briefly in a second, both of those guys throw a lot at you. Just, you know, schematically, personnel groupings, you know, Gruden's going too tight end sometimes, he's going 11, you know, he's doing a bunch of different things, and you see a lot of different things going on there, and I, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup, like you said. The one thing that I, I do want to bring up offensively before we transition to the defense is just how worried are you about the Raiders running all over this Patriots front seven? This is definitely a power running game for Oakland. You know, they're, they're a pull guard type of team and run you over. They got Josh Jacobs, who's a really good young back. Jalen Richard's not no slouch either. If Richie Incognito is healthy for this game... I think that there is a formula for Oakland to run for a buck fifty on this team and just scored, sort of physically dominate the Patriots defense. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a concern, especially if Cognito's healthy. You know, part of me wants to wonder if we see, you know, Belichick have one of those game plans where it's like, yeah, let them run the ball. Like, like I'm fine with them running the ball just because, you know, that means that they're not, like, beating us over the top. They're not getting some cheap and easy plays on us. You know, if we force them to you know, have a 15-play drive, like, eventually you think Derek Carr is going to make a mistake, right? Like, that's one of those game plays where you can see that come to fruition. You know, you mentioned earlier, though, 
the almost panic type move by seeing the run game get going. I really feel like it. And then you put Bentley in, and I think we all have a nightmare in the back of our minds of a crucial third and seven when Josh Jacobs is on a wheel route and it's 51 running with him. Like that, that's a potential nightmare scenario. So I think that's the one fear. I'm comfortable with them running the ball, provided that the New England Patriots don't sort of have the same panic response that they had Sunday night where they think we got to get our thumpers on the field to stop it at the second level, and it lands up the same way it did Sunday night with a running back wheel route for a touchdown. I think the first time that I saw this defense look, I guess, you know, unsure of itself or, or maybe the new pieces in the front seven was that Chris Carson touchdown. You know, just the, the fact that they didn't have that on the same page because I know exactly what they were supposed to do on that play. What happens is, is Bentley actually has a running back in man coverage, but if the, if the running back releases vertically out of the backfield, then it actually transitions to the edge defender getting the guy in man coverage to try to cut off that wheel route. If you go back and watch that Eagles game, the Eagles tried to get, uh, I, I forget who which running back it was, but they tried to get a running back up the sideline on the same wheel route, and Kyle Van Noy peeled off of his coverage and dropped into coverage off the edge. With- to him. I think Adrian confused with the scheme, didn't realize that that's what they were doing, and that's obviously maybe a new wrinkle that he's never done before from that edge spot, and that's really where they broke down, so that's something I'm sure that they talked about. It's a quick fix. It's a, you know, Adrian Phillips, this is this call. Remember, that's what we do here, and that shouldn't happen again, so I'm optimistic that they'll get that ironed out, but it reminded me exactly of that Van Noy wheel route against Philadelphia, where they have this check that if the running back is going to release into the flat or release upfield from the sideline, you know, out of the backfield, then the edge defender is actually the guy that takes him instead of the middle linebacker, so the middle linebacker doesn't have to run all the way across the field to get him. Let's move over to the other side of the ball, though, the defense for the Raiders. I pulled this up on Pro Football Focus, their depth chart, before uh, we started recording, just to do some research, and there's a lot of yellow and red and, you know, a lot of just not good going on right now for Oakland's defense, or Las Vegas' defense. I did it again. The two things is, though, I I think what it comes down to is there's a ton of young players on this defense, a bunch of guys from the last couple of draft classes, and then guys like Corey Littleton, for example, in the middle of the defense. This is new to them. They're only two games into this system. They're all brand-new players. Paul Gunther's defense also, I remember that Sports Illustrated article where he brags about all the different types of fronts and different types of coverages and all the installs that he has. It's a complex defense with a lot of young and new faces. Yeah, it is an untested defense right now, I'll say that. Um, I think there are ways to make plays happen against them, particularly in the downfield passing game. I mean, you look at Carolina – I think left some plays on the field when they play back in week one, particularly anytime you can get Jonathan Abram aligned as the middle of the field safety. You know, there were times when he was forced into that role because of motion shift and alignments, whatever. And he would bite down hard either on play action or anytime he's showing some eye candy, you know, we all love Yankee concept, right? Where you get the, the two crossing routes. But anytime he had something like that happening in front of him, he was driving downhill hard because that's where he wants to be. He's a physical in-the-box type safety. And he would give up opportunities for plays over the top. And so I think if you're Josh McDaniels, who does such a great job at identifying mismatches, getting the defensive look that he wants to run against, and then run at a play to beat that defensive look, you're going to see a lot of plays where in the pre-snap phase on Sunday, they're going to try to get Jonathan Abram to be that middle of the field safety. And then you will see routes run accordingly. 
showed him a zig route, a crosser or something, some eye candy in front of him, and then an Edelman or a bird over the top of it. You might see Harry working that underneath, soft Edelman working that underneath, and Bird over the top. I think you're going to try to identify him as a player to attack. Corey Littleton is a good linebacker. You know, we hope to see James White back. Obviously, a horrific situation there. But if White's back, you know, it might be a situation where Littleton and White, that might be a fun little matchup to watch because Littleton is a very good coverage linebacker, very athletic. You know, last year we saw so many teams were able to take a defensive back and put him on White. Raiders might not have to do that. They could probably ask Littleton to do that. So, you know, that will be an interesting thing to watch. But I think that's going to be the key. Can they get Abram as that middle of the field safety and then attack him and, you know, bracket him with high lows and things like that? I'll be looking for that on Sunday. Absolutely. And there's a a lot of match coverage going on with that Oakland or Las Vegas secondary. I caught myself that time. A lot of match coverage going on with that Raiders secondary as well. You know, cover two, uh, cover six even sometimes for them with Gunther. And I I just know that, you know, this is two coaches in my mind and Gruden and and Gunther who's the playbook's out on them, right? You know, I think everybody sort of knows what they run, knows what they're all about. Gunther is a very aggressive defensive coordinator, not in terms of blitzing, but in terms of that one gapping four three that he runs and he wants everybody to get uphill. So like you said, eye candy, misdirection, play action. I think shot plays are going to be available and those match coverages on the back end get really confused by things like you mentioned, Yankee concepts or daggers and things like that where there's one guy going over the top and one guy going underneath the defense and you sort of have to pass those things off and on the fly and it can be very difficult. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I'm, look, I'm an old offensive guy. I'm a firm believer in that anytime you make the guys on the defensive side of the ball have to think a little bit, you're going to be okay because they're going to get confused. Um, but particularly when you're dealing with a young defense, when you're showing them something and making them make a decision off of that, and then you can make your read and throw based on how they react, you're going to be okay. And I think we're going to see a lot of that on Sunday. I know the opening script from McDaniels, if it goes as planned, is going to be misdirection, eye candy, you know, ghost motions, play actions, you know, all over the place because this is a very young and inexperienced defense, like I said, in a very, well, at least Gunther will tell you, a very complex scheme. So I I think there's a lot spinning in those heads of guys like Damon Arnett, for example, who's in his third NFL game trying to master this scheme that you have to match coverages and you have to play a little bit of man as well and you have a bunch of different things going on. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. Always a great time. Go ahead and uh, tease anything you want. Tell people where they can follow you. You know the drill. Evan, thanks so much, man, for having me. Always a blast when we get the chat ball. It's always a good conversation. Uh, easiest ways on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Just follow me there. But like you said, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit, Matt Waldman's RSP. But, yeah, on the Bird app, at Mark Schofield, we try to have some fun and some poo memes over there. So And poo, P-O-O-H, Winnie, Winnie the Pooh. Well, you should definitely. Like Winnie the Pooh, like Isaiah Wynn. There you go. Yeah, now, you're, exactly. now you're like Cam Newton. Exactly. We got, we got some Cam Newton nicknames in here now. That's how we're going to end it. I love it. Uh, Mark, thanks so much again. Like I said, uh, a must follow for everybody, Patriots fans, non-Patriots fans. If you want to learn more about football, I would say 
75% of the phrases and things that I know about quarterback play have come from this guy right here. So be sure to go follow him and uh, give him a read on Touchdown Wire, Pat's Pulpit, Sco Show, all those types of things. On the Pat's Beat Podcast, well, first of all, let me just shout out our coverage for Sunday's game against the Raiders at Gillette, where I'll obviously be there myself, Sierra Goodwill, with wall-to-wall coverage, pre-game, post-game, the whole nine yards. So make sure to follow us at Patriots CLNS and on our Patriots Press Pass YouTube channel for all of those videos, all of those takeaways from Sunday's game against the Raiders and then we'll be back on Patriots B next week uh, maybe I'll just have Mark on again because we're talking about Patrick Mahomes in Kansas oh City and that you know is always a good time so maybe we'll have Mark on again very soon I also will probably read out, reach out to my friend Seth Kaiser of the Athletic Kansas City who does a great job breaking down film uh, what we usually have him on for Kansas City week so let's focus on the Raiders for now but in the back of our mind or the corner of our eye just remember that the Super Bowl champs are uh, the Patriots are going to see the Super Bowl champs I should say at Arrowhead in week four. But until then, signing off for Mark Schofield, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.